0: Welcome to Privacy Abbreviated, brought to you by BBB National Programs. As our regular listeners know, our goal here is to help business leaders prepare and operationalize for what's next in the privacy space. I am Donna Frazier, Senior Vice President of Privacy Initiatives at BBB National Programs. I oversee programs ranging from our COPPA Safe Harbor to our CPRA verification to our teenage privacy, digital health, and global privacy division. Um, Once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Jason Kronk, Chair and Founder of the Institute of Operational Privacy Design.
1: Jason, how are you? I'm doing quite well, Donna. Good. Happy to be here.
0: Hopefully, our listeners tuned into our last podcast, where we discussed with our guests the government purchase and use of data from privacy businesses. Today, we're going to turn our attention to the world of startups. And where else better to start than the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley?
1: That's right, Donna. Both our guests hail from the Bay Area. Our first guest, Katharina Corner, has a PhD in law from the University of Innsbruck in Austria. She is currently an SME. That is subject matter expert, not small-medium enterprise, as some people may use that acronym, Um, with the Tech Diplomacy Network, and she's founder of the AI Education Network. She formerly served as Principal Researcher of Technology for the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Lindsay Krolik is a Bay Area-based attorney and current associate clinical professor at Santa Clara University School of Law, where she teaches privacy, internet law, legal writing, marketing, contracts, business formation, intellectual property, basically everything you need to know to start a business. She formerly worked in the legal departments of both Bill.com and PayPal. Welcome to both our guests.
2: Thank you. Happy to be
3: here. This is Katerina. Thanks, Jason and Donna and Katerina. This is Lindsay. Happy to be here.
1: Excellent. Well, thanks again for taking uh, time out of your busy days to to be with us here and discuss this very interesting topic of startups and privacy. I feel like some startups really kind of like gravitate and, and use privacy as a brand differentiator, but some of them like that's the last thing on their mind. They're really focused on a lot of other things.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Jason. So first of all, I have to say that when you were reading their their bios, you know, Lindsay is a professor. I felt myself sit up straight in my chair as though I was back in law school or something. <laughs> so thank you both for being here. I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. So as Jason said, we're talking about startups. What do we really mean by startups? There are tens of thousands of entrepreneurs in the U.S. Many people start new businesses, but the term startup seems to apply to a distinct subset. So I would ask both of you, when did you think you first heard about startups? What does that mean to you? I can
3: start off. It's a great question. I at Santa Clara Law, I, one of the classes that I teach is called the Entrepreneurs Law Clinic, and we use that term to be a little bit more broad. That could include startups, and we'll and I'll talk about when I heard first heard that term. But it can include all kinds of other just small businesses that you might not think about as a startup. I've lived in the Silicon Valley for my entire professional life. And so, and I think startups, and specifically tech startups, I think is what you think about sometimes when you hear the word startup, they're kind of the backbones of this valley, of course, right? And so when you hear tech startup, even you might think, what does tech startup mean? And that, of course, it means a startup that is building some sort of technology and technology is going to use data very often.
2: I'm so honored to be here with Lindsay. I mean, you're really the perfect guest for this podcast. So I'm happy to share in this podcast more of my personal experiences because I also started what I would have called two startups in my last role when I was still in Austria. So I moved here to San Jose, Silicon Valley three years ago. But I also founded two language and cultural education institutes in Moscow, and in Sarajevo, in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And I would have called those also startups. So when I, because the German translation of, you know, when you make a new business, it's, there's only one term for it. It's, it's startup. So I would not only think of tech startups, but I think in whatever uh, capacity or whatever product or service you're offering, and you are processing personal data, you kind of confronted at least from the at the beginning with the same questions like what you know that we will um, dive into later like what data do I have what for which purpose etc so scaling with a tech product or platform is of course a different risk angle and responsibility when you process personal information but I think every single new business that processes personal information in any shape or form has to be aware of privacy and we're going to talk about that today.
0: Yeah, I, I know that when, I, when we talk to companies who use our various programs and services, one of the first questions I ask a company with regards to information is, what are your must-haves, right? What do you need versus what do you want to have or what would you like? And usually the differentiators are between what legal wants, what your legal department wants, what your lawyers want, versus what your marketing team wants. Do you want to opine on that a little bit?
3: Yeah, I mean, this is that's a great place to start when we think about, privacy principles around uh, minimizing data right that's that's a very what you're describing in terms of that question what are your must haves what do you need what do you want that really goes to the crux of the privacy issues and it also frames it in terms of the product and the business mm-hmm. goal which is really really helpful right because you can't Ask these questions without context of what is the business trying to do. Right. And what are, you know, what is the purpose for collecting and using and sharing data mm-hmm. and the need versus want really can sometimes get murky right. if you're
0: not keeping that goal in mind. And the and as the business evolves, that's going to change, right? So it's what, what you have on day one may not be what you have on day one hundred and twenty or day three hundred and sixty five. Of course. I mean, I think this is one of the
3: biggest misunderstandings about startups is that they they know exactly what they're going to be doing. And there's going to be no pivots. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're just going to go in a straight line. And that's not true. Right. Because most startups, they have an idea. They're starting somewhere, of course, but they're going to change and grow and pivot and find out that the initial target market they were going after Is not the right one or their product isn't quite
2: hitting in the Mm -hmm. same way and so Mm -hmm. they have to adjust Mm -hmm. yeah i would also like to add when startups when they will need to think about like concrete privacy laws where they are maybe not in scope from the very beginning nevertheless if you might not be in scope of specific privacy laws due due to your size yet as Lindsay said, when you scale or expand or change your scope, and when your business is going to grow and scale, then you can get problems later if you don't start with like documenting personal information that you have, where it is, et cetera, from the very beginning. So I think it's crucial to at least have some awareness and also build the right infrastructure and documentation around personal information from the start.
1: Should startups be thinking of privacy as a potential differentiator? And should they be thinking about this up front? Or is it really, hey, let's wait until we're big enough that the regulators are going to come after us?
2: Differentiator for startups, privacy. I thought about that question recently. And it's, I think consumer expectations are that, of course, you are compliant with legal requirements around Privacy. So I don't know if such a differentiator creating trust or more like it's not a nice to have, but of course it's like it's brushing your teeth. You cannot just skip it. It's no doubts about that you will take care of my privacy, right? That's what my expectation would be. So,
1: yeah, I I think, you know, that's certainly maybe an expectation, but isn't necessarily reality when there's a, a single individual in their basement creating an app. That has millions of subscribers and they don't have a legal department. They don't even know what the laws are, yet they can affect millions of people. I mean, is that part of the problem potentially with startups now, at, at least going back to the concept of tech startup versus other types of startups, is that you as an individual or a small company can affect a lot of people, uh, even if you don't have the infrastructure to necessarily do the right thing?
3: Well, first of all, like it can seem a little like gloom and doom that apps anybody can launch an app and have millions of customers and and be working out of their basement and they're really bad actors, right? But most app startups don't actually get millions of customers overnight, and if they do, hopefully they do have some support by competent privacy counsel if they're if they're using a lot of personal data. Many startups collect only minimal personal information. But yeah, there's the concern that apps can be launched and be collecting, you know, sensitive data like this and health information is such a great example because then maybe that gets shared for targeted marketing and pretty soon it's really out of control. One thing the FTC on the health front has been really helpful in developing a resource for mobile health app developers that includes some really practical takeaways for startup to think about. Like minimizing data. This is where we started with Donna's first question, right? Do you really need all the data you think you do? Maybe de-identify it so that the data can't be reasonably associated with somebody. Limiting access and permissions is pretty key. Thinking about your default settings that you have set up and whether they can be privacy protective. And then keeping authentication in mind, like what kind of password requirements are built in. And what kind of access third parties have to, to any of that data?
0: Yeah, I mean, we have a program, um, our Digital Health Privacy Program, that specifically addresses the non-HIPAA covered data, right? So I think, again, for small businesses, for startups to understand, well, what is covered by HIPAA and what isn't covered by HIPAA? And with Washington state law and other state laws, and a good segue into the law, the law part of our conversation, legal part of it, but knowing what you actually have to comply with. And I think that's really the biggest challenge. And what do you think are kind of the key privacy regulations that startups should be aware of?
3: Yeah, I'll I'll start with this. And then maybe, Katharina, if you want to chime in here from a European perspective, too, this is one of my favorite questions, right? Because there are a ton of regulations and emerging regulations, and how do you keep up with all of this? And most startups really won't come to the point where they meet the thresholds of laws like CCPA in California, for instance. But there are other laws that will apply. I mean, FTC Act Section 5 will apply regardless to unfair and deceptive practices, and that's been used to enforce privacy violations. In California, specifically, CalOPA, which is the California Online Privacy Protection Act, has been around for many years. And it applies to any website that collects personally identifiable information from California consumers, and it requires a privacy policy. So just starting with a privacy policy is, you know, you've got to at least have that.
1: So Lindsay, you mentioned the FTC Act, but the reality of that is, yes, it applies, but the reality is the FTC mostly goes after big fish, right? They only have limited resources. So uh, you can have a hundred thousand small companies if they've only got 10 customers, the FTC is probably not going to do anything, no matter how deceptive they are. Uh, they're going after the, the companies that have a large larger base, right?
3: yeah I, I think that's right, but I mean, even within large companies, you have things that are called pilot programs, which are kind of like a startup within a large company. And when I worked in-house at at PayPal and at Bill, we would call these pilot programs like who's going to watch the puppy right And it's the <laughs> same thing. you know, puppies grow right. up, and so the FTC, even though they might not be enforcing on small startups. They're actually a great resource for startups. They have a lot of really good approachable guidance that is for small businesses. And that's a really great place to look for for startups trying to grapple with, how do I comply
0: with stuff? So I think also a lot of startups will partner with other companies and the obligations that they each have to comply impact their businesses. We know that we get questions from companies who say, look, especially if they're directed to children, if they're collecting data from children at 13, they may want to partner with a company who says to them, are you COPPA compliant? And they're like, wait, I don't even know what COPPA means. Compliance with COPPA means. But the notion of ensuring that your practices are aligned so that you can do business with others because everyone who touches that data downstream is liable.
1: Oh, oh, I I have so many so many thoughts right now it's running through my head. It's, I'm trying to organize them, but I have, a, I have a great anecdote along with that, Donna. I, I worked for a company. We were negotiating with a, a much smaller company. You know, they probably had five employees. They were doing phishing attacks uh, in a in a company, like trying to catch employees who would click on links and those kind of things. Okay. And, and our contract said you must comply with all applicable laws. And right. they, they they struck that and they said. We can't agree to that in the contract. And we're like, what do you mean? And they said, well, we can't afford an attorney. We don't know what the applicable laws are. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, yeah.
2: May I chime in? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, I think this lack of enforcement for most companies is like a general kind of problem in, Mm -hmm. in, in the field of compliance. So we're always promoting privacy or also security as well as other compliance topics with like this risk of enforcement. But I liked it a lot, like what you said before, that when it comes to scaling later or to M&As or collaboration, then you also need to have those uh, good practices in place. It's not only because of enforcement, but it's also to think of time. Oh,
1: oh, absolutely. And I was trying to parlay what Donna was saying into we, as a larger company, I was working for a Fortune 500 company, we were requiring our vendors to mm-hmm. do the right thing, right. either in that respect, or we had another company that was uh, had security issues and we were forcing them to go through an audit that they normally wouldn't have gone through because they were scaling up. We're like, they said, none of our other customers made us do this. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, but now you're talking to a Fortune 500 company. If you want our business, right. you need to to do better. Right. Right.
0: And I think that's the key takeaway here for startups for small business owners is to understand that in order for you to grow your business and and rely on collaborations and partnerships, you will be asked to fulfill these obligations and finding ways to do so. Lindsay, as you pointed out, the FTC website has tons of information that is useful, and we will be sure to put that in links in the resource section for the podcast, and we'll put other resources as well. But it's definitely something that people should be looking at and paying attention to because as you look at a lot of the state laws here in the U.S., the liability, the third-party liability, looking downstream, how you're impacted, how your practices impact the other business vendors, but also consumers are savvy. They're beginning to really understand not just what your obligations as a company are, but what their rights are, and they're starting to ask really good questions. And maybe California law has – prompted that in many ways, but the ecosystem is just very complex and very different for both businesses and consumers.
2: But what I would like to raise here, sure. because we were talking about apps before, mm-hmm. and I mean, we have pretty strict vetting on app stores and right. we have privacy labels, uh, Apple's app store. And so I was wondering if you question to <laughs> to the moderators, to Lindsay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can consumers rely in a specific sense that if they download apps from the app store mm-hmm. that their privacy is taken care of at, at least like sufficiently because it's vetted by the app stores
1: right right? I would actually disagree with you on that because the the vetting is minimal and and one of the reasons is Apple and Google don't want to get into the the market of of determining making legal determination,
0: compliance decisions right yeah
1: like apple requires that i think all apps now have a privacy notice right and so you have a link to a page that says this is our privacy notice and that's it a- and they don't check the quality or substance or whether it's accurate or or anything just that you have you filled in the form uh, correctly
0: katharina as informative as the apps store platforms have become they be, they provide more information than i think was there a year or two years ago to jason's point i don't think it's that's what consumers can solely rely upon
2: maybe we can talk a little bit about practical steps that startups can take because when we were raising the question or discussing the specific laws mm-hmm. what it seems to me is that not all startups <laughs> which process personal information right. are even aware they are, I mean, they have to be aware of privacy principles in general. Like two years ago, I talked with a startup, which is pretty big by now. And they're doing actually, I would say profiling even because it's emotion detection in emails for other big vendors. And that startup was not aware that, you know, I am not processing this per- personal information for myself. It's for someone else. So I think it's lacking, often lacking those very basic, this basic awareness that you are obligated. To safeguard the personal information that you process, whoever you are in this ecosystem.
1: I see this as a general like awareness of the law understanding of the law even more broader to what we would consider startup, but any any new business or small business I've seen a lot of small businesses I'm talking like restaurants that basically they take their tips from their employees or do things that are blatantly illegal because they, again they're they don't hire an attorney they don't bother to look so i I think it's is it ostrich sticking your head in the sand and not wanting to know, or is it we as the privacy community are not educating people enough. Uh, I mean, Lindsay, you're an educator. <laughs> what's 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 our, our role here, and what's the role of the of the of the business startup to to educate themselves?
3: Look, I mean, startups are focused on so many things, and and businesses. You know, as you said, the wider concept of businesses. Just the other day, I asked the students in the class I teach at Santa Clara Law, the the Entrepreneurs Law Clinic, what what they think their startups they're, that they're servicing are focused on. In this class, students are actually doing real legal projects for real startups. They're actually doing the work, supervised, of course. But the students, of course, started that list with legal formalities. Oh, they don't understand some of this legalese that we're using. But really, startups are thinking about building and developing their product, getting customers, hiring. Money you know they need funding, and people working at startups may be working a day job too there's a lot going on. privacy concerns may not be at the top of the list, so I think starting with the context again, what is this business about? is does it rely on a lot of data if it's minimal data, is it really minimal is it is that minimal data still high risk I mean just having a sense of of what what is sensitive data i think is really one of the key things that i would say we're trying to educate businesses about we've talked about kids data we've talked about health data i think location data is another one i think financial right we've we've kind of all been educated over time about identity theft as consumers and so there's heightened awareness on financial but these other pieces of sensitive data i think is really where you can start To understand what a company or what a startup's risk profile is and then they can start looking at okay based on that what what do i need to do
0: right i think that this is part of the cost of doing business and and the cost of do of starting your startup we tell companies all the time when you're looking for your funding make sure you're building in your compliance efforts your outside counsel your whatever it is in order for you to be compliant I think that there's a level of complexity as we move into AI and Katarina, this is for you is what are you seeing in the AI startup space? I mean, are there different complications? I'd be curious to know, We you know, what, what you're seeing in the AI space.
2: So I don't know if you have a similar saying in English, but in German we have some a saying that I would translate as not knowing the law doesn't protect you from enforcement. Right. And I, as a former right. CEO myself, who who started two new businesses in abroad, like Russia is not such a <laughs> <laughs> such a you know a safe space to to start a startup. So I, it was really fear driven. But of course, as a CEO, it's my responsibility to be aware of like the law, right? So right. and it's just uh, one among other questions to ask, like you said, an outside counsel or whoever. What are my privacy obligations? So, for example, in Russia, you're not allowed to transfer personal information of Russians. I mean, it's just one of many, many things that as a, as a founder, you have to think of. And I have personally not really a lot of understanding if you don't do that, because that's that's your job. So I think whether it's a AI startup or any other startup, you have to start with the very basic same things. And that is what kind of personal information do I process? I mean, first of all, do we even have an understanding what processing means? Yes, it means I'm storing it. I'm sending emails around. I'm like everything you do in your realm that has to do with personal information. And that could be personal information like names or emails or also via indirect identifiers. So any information that comes in via cookies or apps or web forms, Do I know what data I have? Do I know where it's coming from? Do I know why am I collecting this data? So I need a purpose to collect or store or process this information. Where do I store it? Who receives it? So all those very basic questions, I think, need to be addressed and documented. Yeah, and it's also interesting. I I did this AI machine learning no-code course recently, it was with MIT which of course it was a great course but we never talked about anything like you know privacy or security or even i mean bias was mentioned but only computational bias so all those responsible ethical trustworthy ai principles of which privacy security transparency etc one of those i think it's still not very prevalent or taught like on a very hands on yeah.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this was a couple of years ago. I took a machine learning like series of, of classes on uh, online through, I think it was Coursera. And I was kind of miffed that in none of this, they even have an inkling of mention of like the ethical issues. Like, uh, are you creating machine learning algorithm do something that could potentially have biases or, or do really bad things? It was, uh, it was all technical and no, nothing about of the potential major downsides. <laughs>
2: And I think that the the challenge for AI startups is that many of those problems are unsolved, basically. And transparency, non-discrimination, those are also principles that are, for a large degree, covered by privacy regulation, by the way. So GDPR does already address transparency or non-discrimination. But to really put that into practice, I mean, we're all here like in the same boat, trying to... Uh, I have I get so many questions how do I do that in practice like how do I do it hands on and then when you look for information and research it's not that easy it's so extremely complex that I think we can only solve it like as a society and I even though I see the privacy problems <laughs> with AI or generative AI for example I am happy that I have did not live in Italy back you know at the beginning <laughs> when it turned off uh, ChatGPT I love it right. it's so cool so I hope research will get some more funding to put those really cool things that this ecosystem of responsible AI is developing and working on more into practice.
0: Yeah, we've touched on AI. What other, this is like both for you, Katharina, and Lindsay both, what emerging trends or technologies in privacy should startups really keep an eye on?
1: Facial recognition. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Biometrics, um, yeah, biometrics. I actually just started reading Kashmir Hill's new book, "Your Face Belongs to Us," which is chilling about face recognition.
1: I, I, it just got delivered to me yesterday, <laughs> so I'm. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's so good. But just thinking about augmented reality, virtual reality, it's coming back to biometrics again, right? There's a, there's just extensive biometric data being collected by those products and platforms. And, and just, it's another place where we don't really understand what is like AI, what is really, how that's really going to play out, how it's going to be used, not only facial recognition, but like information about how I, the facial expression I'm making and how that may play into my buying decision. Like the level of manipulation Mm -hmm. is quite high there. So it's that's an interesting area that I'm watching.
2: If I was having an AI startup, I would familiarize myself from the onset on with like privacy-preserving machine learning because I think that could be a differentiator, actually. So we're talking differential privacy. And synthetic data primarily, I think, because all those others like um, multi-party computation and it's a great technique. I'm not sure how much it's going to take off. It's still a niche or homomorphic encryption. It's not really super mature, but differential privacy. Also with NIST having this focus on differential privacy, uh, meaning you can randomize responses from a data set when you make your queries that you cannot tell for sure if a data point or an individual's data was part of this output or the answer or not, so you can mathematically prove that you cannot tell so deniable plausible deniability or something it's called you cannot really tell if someone's information was really part of the of the uh, answer or not so and also that uh, plays into the realm of anonymization and de-identification. And I think that's a big topic also for medical research or for collaboration between Europe and the US. And NIST has just published a really, really good new report on de-identification techniques. So I think those things uh, can play a vital role in machine learning as well. And I would recommend looking into those things.
1: You know, it's interesting the way we we frame that. I, I had a potential consulting client contact me one time and they were wanting, it was a startup, and they were wanting to use Mac address tracking in stores. So your cell phone uh, broadcast a Mac address and they were going to use that to track individuals like where people were going in stores and where they were going from one store to another. And I asked them the question, I'm like, well, what are you trying to achieve? Why are you using this technology? And their response was, we thought it was cool technology, and we were just looking for a business application. And I think that's the wrong way to think about it. That's going to lead you down path of, here's a great tool, let's use it, but potentially it's going to be in a privacy-invasive way. Rather, what you should be doing as a startup, and in my opinion, and I, I think I'm, I'm not the only one who cares this, is what solution, what problem are we trying to solve? And then let's identify the best technology or the best process or the best way to solve that problem in a potentially privacy friendly way. So anyway, my, my, my comments there, but we're, Headed towards the end of this podcast, we'd love to get your final thoughts on again kind of any practical steps for the audience. If you have to leave them with one nugget of truth, you know, mine was try to solve a problem, don't try to use a technology. Do you have any any final thoughts? Lindsay?
3: Yeah, I mean, privacy is about the user. So I think that if startups can keep in mind The user, as they are building their product, sometimes that's we call that privacy by design, right? In the privacy compliance world, that is going to center them in what they're doing. So, if I could list three things that I would love every startup to do, it would be start with writing that privacy policy. It will actually, it is required, and it also will help you go through that exercise of understanding accurately what data am I collecting and why and what am I doing with it. Two, getting a template agreement in place, like a services agreement that you're going to use with vendors and service providers that has data protection terms. That doesn't have to be a complicated lift. And three, looking at some education. As we mentioned before, the FTC has a lot of great resources so that you're at least keeping a pulse on what privacy laws might be applicable to you and utilizing those resources that are really aimed at small businesses.
2: That's great. Uh, there's really not much to add. You you said it all, but I would maybe also recommend that you combine those privacy thoughts, especially training for employees uh, with security practices because it's so much more common so far to have a security awareness whatever like a program or just some initiatives at least like who do you want to teach what and how can we make security better in our organization and I mean there is no privacy without security so maybe you can combine it with uh, that as well and have for example also an incident response plan I think that can also just you know compiling a document who would we need to notify would we even have to notify someone and who would do it and to whom would we send it? All those little things, just sitting down and writing a document for, for everybody can help just to have more awareness what data we have, where it is, what we need to do, and then go through that with your team. And I think all those things just help to yeah, have better practices and, of course, documentation for an eventual also <laughs> enforcement.
0: Thank you both for those practical steps. The one thing I will add, Lindsay, you mentioned getting the privacy policy, I beg, beg, beg people to not cut and paste yes. somebody else's pride. I see this all the time. I think there's something that is helpful in looking at the privacy policies of businesses that may be aligned or akin to what you're doing, but do not just do a simple cut and paste. It will get you in trouble every time. And I've seen it. I'm here to. I'm here to tell you. I see the results of that. Don't do it. So thank you both so much for today's conversation. When we close out our podcast this season, we've been asking our guests really a set of fun and and interesting questions that really are intended to just give us a little bit more insight into who you are. Some of our listeners are familiar with Inside the Actor Studio. So I'm saying right now that I've taken this idea from both Bernard Pivot and James Lipton. And um, I'll start off with the first question, which is, and this is for both of you to answer, what is your favorite word? I'll start with Caterina.
2: Uh, homomorphic encryption. That's <laughs> 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 it's the first one that came that's, to mind. Okay, it,
1: it, it rolls right off the tongue.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. That's right. That's
0: how you do it. That's how you do it. Top of mind, Lindsay. Favorite word.
1: Uh, this is going to
3: be wildly different, and it's what came to came into my head, and it's mystic. I just I love mystery, and I love not knowing what's going to happen.
1: Interesting. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Uh, And what's your least favorite word?
3: Mine would be where to for. I absolutely hate legalese. And it's one of the things that I preach to my students to stop using legalese. And I think it it relates to privacy. We need to use plain language. Yeah.
1: Well, Lindsay, hereafter, (laughs) we will not use where to for.
0: (laughs) Thank you.
3: (laughs)
1: <laughs> what
2: profession
0: other than your own would you like to attempt, Katharina?
2: Whoa, something with children, I guess, you know, with toddlers or so. Like, uh, how do you treat toddlers that they grow up to uh, self confident people, not like doing too much for them? But um, <laughs> so maybe something with children. I don't want to <laughs> go down that rabbit hole. What yeah. I do. So yeah. thanks for the question. I
3: have attempted and I. Feel like I'll keep attempting for the rest of my life to be a fiction writer. I would love to just be a novelist and live in a cabin in the woods and write fun stories. It's hard, harder than it looks.
1: Very cool. So I get all the <laughs> negative questions. So to, <laughs> to both of you, we'll start with Lindsay. What profession would you not like to do?
3: I really don't like being dirty. So <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. So I'd, I would never want to work like down in the depths underground. Right.
2: I don't want to do anything where, where I don't feel it has made some impact. I mean, if I drive Uber, then I make an impact and I deliver someone where he needs to go. But it's underpaid. So that's 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 unfortunate. But anything that is too repetitive, you know... That, I couldn't do that. Like I just want to have some positive right. feedback and I could also clean toilets or afterwards it's clean and people are happy. That's okay. But it's like this not being appreciated. That's that's not so cool.
1: So are you saying you won't review my 10,000 privacy impact assessments?
2: <laughs> I would love to review yours because I could learn so much from
0: it. Yeah. So our last question is if there's any problem in the privacy landscape that could be solved for tomorrow, what would you want it to be? And now, Katerina, I'll start with you.
2: Machine unlearning. So um, data subject rights in machine learning. How do you get the data uh, that was part of the training data, personal data was part of the training data, more or less out of the model? That's super interesting, I think. I think for me,
3: just basic data mapping just continues to be, we want to have, uh, we haven't solved Hive mind yet. We don't have perfect data mapping and we don't know what is actually going on a lot of the time. And so we're working with imperfect data. So if we could solve data mapping and have it be 100% perfect, I think that would be great, but it would probably be create other issues.
1: <laughs> so... Katharina and Lindsay, I want to thank both of you for coming on the podcast uh, from the beautiful Bay Area and sharing your wisdom and knowledge about startups and privacy and other topics that we covered today. Again, thank you very much.
0: Yes, thank you both so much. This is a really interesting conversation. One that I think we could talk about for hours on end, quite frankly. So thank you so much. I'm sure that our listeners really appreciate um, the information that you provided. And again, you pointed to some great resources that we will include for our podcast listeners. Um, So I really want to thank everybody for listening today. As always, if you missed any of our previous episodes, please check them out at accountabilitystudios.org, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And be sure to please leave us a review and let us know what you'd like to hear on Future Privacy Abbreviated. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.